Why, thank you. <clears throat> right, are you still awake? Good time of worship, wasn't it? They always say putting worship out like that is the foundation for the, the word to come afterwards. So my prayer this morning is that as I talk, the bits that are from God resonate and provoke and challenge, and the bits that are from me, forget about them. Would you like me to start with a joke? Okay then, here we go. <clears throat> Father John is walking down the street one day when he notices Nathan. And this is actually was from the internet, I haven't changed the names. Father John and Nathan. A very small boy trying to press a doorbell on a house across the street. However, Nathan is very small and the doorbell is too high for him to reach. After watching the boy's effort for some time, Father John moves closer to Nathan's position. He steps smartly, smartly across the street, walks up behind the little fellow and placing his hand kindly on the child's shoulder, he leans over and gives the doorbell a good, solid ring. Crouching down to Nathan's level, Father John smiles benevolently and asks, and now what, my little man? To which Nathan replies with a beaming grin, now we run. <laughs> it made me chuckle. Okay, on to the serious stuff. The battle. We've been singing a lot about the battle this morning, haven't we? The battle in the grave. But the great part of all of this is that we're living now in the victory. So, what I'm going to do is give you the end bit at the start of the service. So that if you get bored along the way, you can fall asleep and you still have the sort of punchline at the end. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I was musing upon that, that we live in the victory. But does our body language, does our attitude, does our everyday life reflect that? Are we actually living in the victory? So, this morning I'm going to be talking about knowing your enemy, knowing about the battlefield, and knowing about the battle strategies. So if I say the enemy to you, what do you, what's the first thing that comes into your heads? Satan, the devil. Looks like this, doesn't he? Red with pointy thing, a big staff. Where does he typically attack? Attacks our families. Maybe our finances. Maybe we get ill from time to time and there's illness and there's sickness around. All of these we would say are strategies of the enemy to keep us well and truly subdued. So what is the battlefield for us? Well, Daniel will like this bit. During World War I, when the men were sent out to fight in specific territories, which were crucial to the final outcome of the war, people referred to these soldiers as going to the front, going to the front line. And when these men reached the front lines, they were usually thrown right into the heat of the battle. With heavily artillery fire going off, Bombs exposing everywhere, wounded or dying shoulders absolutely everywhere. They were at the front. Now sometimes as Christians we think, what does the front line look like being a Christian? Does it mean that we have to go abroad to work in places like Africa and Sierra Leone and all those sort of places we go and travel? Is that what it's about? 
Is it about being at the coalface? Is it about being on mission? Or is it a little bit closer to home than that? You see, I think when I read my Bible and when I look at this, taking up our cross daily, that's my battlefield. Why did Jesus say it? Because he knew what our human nature was like. He knew this wonderful thing which we can refer to as flesh messes up regularly. But he knew that every single day, and it's a daily thing to do, choose to do, is to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, deny our flesh, and put him first. Now, some days I forget to do it. I've got to be honest with you. And other days I think, oh, I must do that, I must press in. God, what have you got for me today? But it's not an easy thing, is it? Picking up your cross. Denying yourself. I think as I'm speaking this morning, I might just do this wonderful thing. Apparently it's called taking a selfie. Look at this, people. Selfie. What does that start with? Self. You see, the mad thing is when we think about the cross, I also think about the fact that God has got a plan for me. That when we surrender our lives to him, this plan goes into place. He knows our beginning from our end. He knows that everything that goes on between those two points. So he spoke you into being. He spoke you into being in your mum's womb. And he knows the moment in time when you're going to leave planet Earth. You're going to die. So often I find myself so concerned about a particular point in my lifetime, in my lifeline, if you'd like to work it out that way. So beginning, end, I'm getting all concerned about this point in time. But God doesn't see me that way. He sees the whole of me. He sees the whole of my starting point and my end point just in a moment. And yet we get so confused, agitated, upset by, frustrated by, disappointed by, certain moments in time and certain circumstances that we find ourselves in which is already seen from the beginning of time he knows your timeline so there we go it's the selfie stick you see we become so focused on ourselves life becomes about me i hear that word an awful lot but what about me she's looking at me from the back of the car when there's a bag of sweets going around i love this song it's all about you Jesus, and all this is for you, for your glory and for your fame. It's not about, it's not about me. As if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. Is that what we'd like to aspire to operate like? Do you find yourself sometimes doing this, though? It's all about me, Jesus. All this is for me. For my glory and my fame. It's not about you. Because you should do things my way. This is my daily battle. To choose whether I make it about him or whether I make it about myself. I'm going to try and stick to my notes today. I want it now. I never hear that in my house, honestly. The culture of today says... Why wait? You can have it now. Even if you can't afford it, just borrow the money. It doesn't really matter. 
You see, do you, in those times between you and God, ask him what he wants for you? Or are your prayer times more about creating a shopping list of, I would like this, 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 and while you're there, could I have that as well, please? We're going to talk a little bit about one of the things I think that reflects the flesh in a lot of life is the way that we speak, the way that we talk, the way that we communicate, what we get involved in. What sort of words are you speaking in your homes? At work? At church? Do they line up with the word of God? Or do you flick and change dependent upon which circle of people you're around at a particular time? You see, I think we need to learn to take control of the way that we speak and what comes out of our mouths. Why is it important? Well, anyone who says he's a Christian but doesn't control his sharp tongue is just fooling himself. And if religion isn't much. Does anybody else here ever, as soon as they open the doors to the Mayfield School, put on their church voice? I need to speak properly now because I'm amongst church people. No F words here. You see, we've sung this morning, haven't we? We stood here, we've sung about God's goodness, We've sung about his praise. Yeah, we've come to a place of worship corporately together. Our mouths are filled with rejoicing. And yet, sometimes when we get to the office or the shops or the restaurant or other places, out of your mouth comes criticism, complaining, gossiping, and the occasional bit of backbiting. I have a wonderful family, the six people that live in our house. It's always wonderful. There's never a heated word. You'll never hear an argument. You never hear the, me, get off, ow, she did this, he did this. And sometimes I sit there quietly, watching all this go on, and my wonderful wife comes to me and said, Aren't you interested in what's going on in the house? Oh, there's something going on, dear. I don't know if it's a man thing or what, but I have the ability just to zone out completely. It's like I flick on this filter, and it's all going off, and I'm completely not aware of it. But I'm having to learn to engage in those times. You see, ultimately, it's about being consistent. I've recently changed, or me and John have changed our company name from One Stop Cloud to Integrity. Why? Because it's our core value. It's what we want to be putting out there to the business world every time we communicate something. I want people to see our logo and question and ask why. Why integrity? Because that's how I believe we should be operating, isn't it? So are your houses full of arguments, backbiting, fighting, scuffles? Or are they a place of safety where forgiveness is displayed? And people come to visit. I'm always amazed. Sometimes I walk into my house and I say there's six people that live there. There's not. There's more than that, really. Our house is full 
of young people a lot of the time. I was talking to my brother over the Christmas holiday. He said, doesn't it bother you that you've got people in your house all the time? I said, no. My house is not my house. It's on loan. It's on loan to be used by the kingdom. That's why we have the house. I want my house to be a place where young people, or anybody really, can come and find a place of safety, sit around the table and have a meal. I'm not saying it's perfect. It's by no means perfect. But by submitting ourselves to God, it creates an environment which is attractive to those people that don't have that. Prompt to yourselves, how often do you open up your houses and not be concerned about the new carpet you've just laid down or the noise or the vibrancy or having young people there or inviting somebody back that's lonely? It's not your house. It's been given to you, I believe, on loan by God to use for his purposes. So sometimes certain things slip out of my mouth, very occasionally, but it's so easy to get caught up in what the world is doing. Who's heard of this wonderful word called banter? It's only banter. Banter is a posh word for... Yeah. All sorts of unpleasant stuff, typically. We laugh at the most unpleasant stuff. We find it amusing. We find it just touches the spot where you can have a giggle. But a lot of the stuff that is communicated via banter is about putting somebody else down. About victimising, about bullying, about all those things which are not good. And yet you find yourself caught up in that. And I'm not saying all banter's bad. Some of it is light-heartedness. And I think if it's not putting some people down and stuff, it's okay. But again, just to guard yourself. If you find yourself in a WhatsApp group which is constantly putting negative stuff out there, do you want to be part of that group? Or do you want to try and change the culture of that group into something that's more positive? If you try and you can't do that, then leave the group. I think we're here to be an influence on people, to change situations, to change the atmosphere. Isn't that what we're about? power of the tongue is incredibly powerful. Do you live in defeat or do you live in victory? Now, people that know my dad, who's quite famous in Lifeline now for some reason, he always says for anything you talk to him about, Daddy, you're not feeling well? I'm a son of Abraham. <laughs> That's his standard comment. And it started off being a real joke. But over the years, I started to understand what he meant. He was not going to sort of say to himself, I feel ill, I feel weary, I feel tired, I am depressed, I am this. I... We're back to the I ams. Rather than who he says that we are. I may feel under the weather, but by his stripes, I'm healed. I may not feel that instantaneously, but my focus goes to him 
rather than to the circumstance I find myself in at this moment in time. So I'm not saying it's willpower, but I'm saying it's declaring stuff from your mouth, which you know to be scripturally true. Because if it says in his word that by his stripes we're healed, then by his stripes we're healed. So, prompt to some of you. In your workplaces, is what's coming out of your mouth good, wholesome? Does it build people up? Or does it tear people down? When you think about God of creation, spoke into the void, what happened? 100 billion galaxies were formed. And we're made in his likeness. And the thing I've been musing over in recent weeks is the fact that the stuff that comes out of here has creative power. It has the ability to change things. Think about it. When you come to know Jesus, what did you do? You declared with your mouth, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. It's a declaration that comes out of our mouths. So are we a people that is kind and compassionate to one another? Do we regularly forgive one another? Because we can say all this stuff, but in the heat of the moment, it's okay when things are going well and things are going easy. It's when the little trials come in. Somebody gets your back up at work. Do you think to yourself, how do I need to respond to that person? Do I respond like all the other work colleagues, which is, let's go gossip about them, let's go moan and groan about the boss, let's go and get other people on my side so I've got a case then to bring? Or do we ask for God's wisdom as to how to interact, how to deal with that, how to show forgiveness, how to get alongside, how to change the atmosphere? You see, a single person, a single one of us, can change the entire atmosphere of our workplace if we ask God for help to do that. You can change the atmosphere. His light overcomes the darkness. Do you see yourself as weak and feeble and run down like a bag of bones? Do you find it difficult to get out of bed every day, to start each day? thinking it's much easier just to stay put. Life is so difficult. Do you speak words of discouragement to yourself as the first thing you do of the morning? This aches, that aches, this hurts. Work's going to be terrible. Oh, I've got to deal with the family tonight as well. Who's coming around for dinner? Oh my goodness. Is that the start of your day sometimes? Or is it, God, what have you got for me today? Where can I see you at work? Where can I see you touch down and change people? Will you make the mealtime this evening just such a time where we get to talk about you, God? Share stories, get excited, build up our faith with one another. 
Sometimes I go to people's houses and have meals and come back and I've forgotten what the food is like because the spiritual food is far tastier than the food. Wouldn't you rather have spiritually being fed than a wonderfully tasting meal? If you get both, it's a double bonus. But is that the first thing on your mind? God, I want to be fed tonight. Daniel prompted people earlier if they were feeling that they wanted something from God today to reach out. We don't do that enough. God, I want to be touched by you. I know you love me. Touch me. Make me effective. Change the situation. Lift up my head. Back to it. And as you speak. So our words have power to build up or tear down. We need to make a daily choice. That's picking up your cross. Denying yourself and saying to him, I put you first. I put you first. We can smile, but do we ever catch ourselves in any of that? I know I do. Can I give any more? What do people expect? I'm tired. I can't be bothered to do anything more. Nobody bothers coming around here. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Because you're back to, this is about me. Self-pity happens all over the place. I think self-pity can bring us back to where we've come from. That old life we left when we started to follow him. Yeah? We start to look back over our shoulder. And then we start to question, is this thing really worth it? Is pursuing God really worth it? Because it's just as hard here as it was before. I thought it was meant to be better. Does that make you feel better? Just for a couple of moments in time, it may do. But I want to talk about long-lasting. A place of not living under that darkness of worry. Because worry can completely consume us. And I believe worry is faith in reverse. Why do you want to live worrying about everything? You see, Jesus commanded us not to worry about what we were going to eat or to drink or be concerned with the clothes that we wear. We know that Jesus wants us to cast all our cares upon him. We know that God has provided a place for rest that we can enter in. His mercy and his grace. We know God has promised to supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. All of these are promises. They're all in his word. And yet sometimes the enemy comes in and says, it's time to worry. You've got an unexpected bill that comes in. It's time to worry. There's talk of redundancies at work. It's time to worry. What happens if, what happens if, what happens if, what happens if comes to mind? And we find ourselves on a spiral downwards. 
What's the antidote of that? Pressing into him. Reading his word. Reading his promises. Yeah? Don't let it get there. Talk to somebody about it. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the battle belongs to the Lord. Recognise you're not alone in the battle. He's there with you. Unbelief. Do you ever sometimes think to God, don't believe you. You said all this, you promised all this, but I'm not seeing it. It's okay, isn't it, when you're in the family of God, when you're around Christians, like-minded people, when things are going great. Take yourself out of the situation, put yourself into a different situation, and suddenly you start to sometimes doubt God. You doubt that he's got your back. You doubt that he's going to protect you. You doubt that you're chosen. You start to question. He is faithful. We've just got to be alert. Have our antennas up to sort of recognise the voice of the enemy when he comes in. The enemy very rarely says anything nice to us. He doesn't say you're wonderful. Yeah? What does he think of you? He wants to pull you down. He wants to remind you of what you've left. Are you really saved? He's a bit of a broken record, really. And the thing I recognised is sometimes, and I find myself doing this, I think of the God and the devil like this and like this, and they're not. They're not. God could blow Satan in a moment, could vaporise him and all the demons with him. But back to my original slide, the victory's already happened. We're just involved in the match and we're seeing it unfold as we go along. It's great to be on the victorious team. See, yesterday I had to go and mow the lawn. And I hate mowing the lawn because it makes my eyes stream. I feel really grumpy about it. But I went to mow the lawn because Tottenham had lost. <laughs> and I was so agitated and so frustrated and thinking, why does this thing affect me so much? I'm going to mow the lawn. T goes, really? That's nice of you. <laughs> By the time I got to the end of the lawn, I felt a little better. Not much, but a little better. And I thought I'd flip the rugby on. <laughs> it was one of those days, wasn't it? Just like double whammy. Double whammy. Half time, I'm thinking, England's stonking it. That's going to ease the blow from Tottenham's defeat. Oh, no. Up the Welsh. <laughs> but it's amazing how quickly our emotions are affected, how we're affected by the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Self-righteousness. This one's a little bit painful. If you want to know about self-righteousness, read the book of Job. 
poor guy. I think I would have given up the life after the first wave hit me. He lost everything. His wife, his children, possessions, his home, the whole shebang. How quickly through that process would you have given up? Ultimately, whatever circumstances we face, God permits to happen to us. Bit of a weird one, that, isn't it? But I have to go back to that thing. He knows my beginning from my end. And he puts things in place to ensure that I reach the destination that he has got for me. So when the battles come, and the mountains come, and the difficulties come, I remember, I'm trying to look at it as God looks at it. It's part of my development. It's part of my shaping. It's part of me dying to self. It's part of my flesh getting into line. Me telling myself it's not the circumstances. Back to the first slide. So in summary, have one of these things resonated with you this morning? Be it your thoughts or your circumstance, or the way that you are at work, which is very different from the way you are here? Are you consistent? You see, we can allow ourselves to control ourselves, Or we can recognise that there's a better way of operating, a better way of being, and there's a helper there that he's deposited in us to enable us to win through. And we forget that sometimes, I think. That same spirit, that same spirit, not a different one, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us. And do you remind yourself of that every day? Do you tell your flesh to get into line Every day. Do you pick up your cross every day? Say, flesh, get into line. It's a very simple thing to do. There's a wonderful word called repentance. And that means turning around and away from the stuff that God has put on your heart this morning to turn around from. And as we do that, we make it about him again. It's not about us. It's about the journey. It's about allowing him control. It's about attitudes being changed. It's about the words that come out of your mouth. Are they coming out to build people up or pull people down? Is there bitterness anywhere in your heart? Bill Johnson says bitterness is premeditated murder. It starts from a seed of bitterness. Is there unforgiveness? I sense as we were worshipping today that somebody had a real screaming row with their mum on the phone. Maybe even been last night. God knows. Your choice is what you're going to do about it. 
Are you going to allow that to sit there and fester? Do you actually agree with what you said to your mum last night? Or did that come from a place of bitterness, anger, resentment? Because Jesus can help you fix that. Is there jealousy in your heart? Are you looking at what other people have got? A nicer house, a bigger car, plenty of money. And you think, Jesus, I'm giving everything for you, but I haven't got that. Let it go. You see, it's about him. Should